Welcome to We're All Gonna Die and Other Fun Facts, a semi-regular, occasionally amusing, and rarely funny series of conversations on a random topic. This episode is entitled Tethered to the Unexpected, and it's about a new collection of poems entitled Tethered to the Unexpected, Poetry About Illness. And our guest for this episode is something who knows something about this new collection of poems. We don't believe in the death of the author here at Gonna Die Podcast. Uh, the author, and let me see if I, I, I've not, I've never heard your name spoken out loud. Roxana Kazan. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much. Roxana Kazan for, for coming on the podcast. Um, maybe if you could introduce yourself briefly, since you're yeah, a first time guest. Thank you, Matt. I, it's, so, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So yeah, I'm Roxana. Um, I hail from Romania. I came to the U.S. to go to grad school, and that's where I can kind of like got a hankering for poetry, for writing poetry. Um, I got the unbelievable opportunity to work with Ross Gay uh, in grad school, and uh, with other amazing uh, poets. Romain Rubinas, uh, Dorsey, and uh, Morris Manning um, at um, Indiana University and received my MFA in 2009. Uh, I stayed behind and I did a PhD as well uh, there in uh, comparative ethnic and post-colonial literature uh, in the English department. Um, prior to that, I dabbled a little bit in creative writing at the University of Louisville, where I did a um, master's in English studies with emphasis in creative writing. And uh, I was allowed to write a semi-thesis, creative semi-thesis. I don't know where those poems went. In fact, I don't think I have any of the poems that I wrote in grad school (laughs) anymore. I don't know. I think that you know, switching laptops and hard drives and things like that. And at a time when I was not ready to deal with all that, you know, things get lost. Oh, dear. So, well, I mean, I mean, they have a university archive, right? I mean, if it's a thesis. Yeah. Oh, the thesis, yeah, should be, should exist somewhere. Should exist. Yeah. The, the poems do not, uh, you know, uh, an earlier guest, James Benger, talked about, um, he had a he had a pipe burst over his laptop. Oh my goodness! And he he lost hundreds. Yeah, you hear all these horror stories, you know. But you know, they say that to write a good poem, you have to write ten thousand bad ones. So this this is true. This is true, though. I I have. I mean, I'm a very analog paper person, and so part of my process is eventually I'm going to print this thing out, even if I'm still going to tinker with it. So I have file boxes. So, um, yeah, I have a weird relationship to language though. On the one hand, I'm, you know, I'm in love with language and I'm fascinated by it, but I'm also, um, scared, um, and anxious around language, uh, just because English is not my native tongue. And, um, I don't know, the computer has been able to give me that distance where I can take a breather and step back and be like, hmm, you know, dissociate a little bit between me and my writing. Oh, um, wow. 
and be able to look at myself. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, I, I mean, I've heard other folks talk about that of non-native speakers and the, the sort of fear of of silence. Yeah, at the, the beginning, poetry writing was like uh, almost entirely translation for me. Um, and then gradually with time, the thoughts started to, 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 to become thoughts in, a, in another language, English, but it, it was a process and it took time. Oh, wow. So does that then like, and I'll admit I'm a true American, I'm monolingual. Mm-hmm. I, meine Deutsch ist nicht so gut. Meine Deutsch ist sehr schlecht, which I said once in a phone call when I briefly worked in international business and I was calling uh-huh. Berlin and the person <laughs> on the other end in pitch for perfect English said, yes, you sound like an American. <laughs> so I have to ask then that in terms of the awareness of language and awareness mm-hmm. with language, do you, I mean, there's that, that, that notion of, you know, if you think in a different language, maybe you're thinking in a different paradigm. And so it's a two-part question. Is being multilingual made you more aware of the mechanisms of language, especially in terms of being a poet, especially being in terms of a poet in English? Do you feel like that has given you maybe a hyper-awareness? And I second mean- part is... Is there a difference between your thoughts in Romanian and your thoughts in English? Okay. <laughs> so, so to answer the first part of the question, um, I started speaking English around the time period in my life when I finally started to realize who I am. So, uh, you know, I had this, you know, awakening into who I am, what I'm supposed to be, this development of identity, right? That happens, I don't know, in your 20s at some point. And um, I, I really cannot uh, tell you how I used to think or write wow. before then, since, you know, I, I, I literally grew up in English. Grew up meaning gaining this awareness, right? In a language oh, wow. that was not my own. And so there were a lot of things and still today that come really hard to me if I had to speak about them in Romanian because I don't have a language for them. It's a language that I'm recovering, I'm, I'm reading, I'm discovering in books and articles and things like that, but it's a rerouting, right? It's, it's kind of awkward. And so uh, at the beginning of my career, so to say, uh, in, in writing, my thoughts were, you know, clearly in Romanian at the time were also fragile and un, unformed, inchoate in, in a way, right? Uh, as they tend to be before you really become aware of what you think, right? So you, mm-hmm. have, to see, <laughs> you have to see what you write to realize, you know, wait a minute, is this what I want to say? Is this what I really think? What do I think? I don't know what I think about stuff. Uh, about life and how do I figure that out right so then you start reading and then you start talking to people and and all of that came to me in English oh wow that is fascinating that (laughs) I mean I say I I know through education I had similar experiences you know I was just saying to somebody the other day about how like yeah the PhD rewired my brain 
Right. And I can, there's a way that I can only think about recent events because I have a PhD and my brain was rewired. Yeah. But while to do that also while acquiring a language, that is yeah, fascinating. I remember, I remember my first semester in the master's program in the US when uh, one of my colleagues at the time wanting to be kind said to me, you know, it's okay if you make a mistake, you know, English is not your li- native language, but this was in the context of an English class where we were all students, no matter of our backgrounds. And so yeah. I didn't feel it would have been fair for me to be treated differently or to be allowed <sighs> just because, right, I was not a native speaker. So, you know, this kind of like haunted me my entire life and it still does. Um, uh, this struggle of really understanding who I am in terms of like identity, Um and, and it's visible in language because as I progress through the day and I speak about different things, I guess the way in which you tell and I can tell how deep I'm thinking or what I'm thinking or how emotional I am when I think about stuff is how my accent changes. There are parts of the day or parts of a conversation where my accent becomes really heavy and then there are other times when I feel I don't hear it. I mean, it doesn't mean that it's not there, but I cannot hear it anymore. Interesting. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, it has been said that, you know, we don't, people who speak English don't speak English. We actually speak multiple Englishes. Yeah. And I think about, and, you know, you're a PhD and a scholar as well, you know, that there is a difference between my poetry brain and my, academic writing brain mm-hmm. I do feel that as well that split as well yeah in a way I do although you know even my academic writing um, tends to be a little bit different than typical academic writing in the sense that my turn of the phrase tends to be lengthy it's like you know the romance language um, the, the 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 ghost of that is still there um, and, you know, I, I agree with you. I do think that the PhD rewired my brain and I can see that in terms of, in terms of writing and thought development, right? When I write a paper, how, the way I approach thinking about things today. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a really complicated relationship and I'm finally comfortable with it being complicated. Um, because I'm surrounded by people who don't put me on the spot for being one or the other, mm. I feel. Um, and, and maybe that's not intentional. Maybe that's just my projection, thinking that people expect that of me. But uh, um, I live in a <laughs> multicultural household where my partner is also a multilingual speaker. And uh, so is my son. I don't know. <laughs> He's starting to be. <laughs> He started to be, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that's such a fascinating thing. And I think also then for me, you know, sort of pivoting to the collection mm-hmm. and, and to write a book of poetry about illness mm-hmm. and maybe because I'm feeling my middle-aged middle-aginess, mm-hmm. but also, I mean, full disclosure, I am a cisgendered American white male who was once infinite and in, in, in 
invincible. See, I just forgot a word. Uh, Invincible. And to think about embodiment and to think about fragility. Mm-hmm. And to think about, also, I think about like sort of, you know, transplanting the culture mm-hmm. and you, you have the background in post-colonial literature as well, mm-hmm. which is the, you know, a lot, so much of the study of post-colonial literature is about the Im- imposition of culture and the way that culture is almost this sort of clothing or to go back to the idea of structuralism, that it is the structure for fulfilling human need. And what happens when a culture breaks down or a culture or someone is put into a different culture. And so what strikes me about these poems, these poems when I was sort of meditating on reading the book this weekend is, you know, and what it means to write a a book of poetry about illness and embodiment Mm -hmm. within a culture that we don't do fragility well. I don't Mm -hmm. think, and I don't think we do loss well. And I don't Mm -hmm. think we do even a sense of how we are limited and how we are finite very well. Mm -hmm. And for me thinking about, then you're talking about these cultural experiences and these experiences with language. Does that open the door for you to sort of meditate on what does it mean to be frail? What does it mean to, I love the idea of the tethered to the unexpected because isn't that what illness is you know i mean i'm thinking about even being in a pandemic you know ride an elevator with the wrong person (laughs) you know and then suddenly right i mean and how you know i know judith butler talks about interconnectedness and, and interdependency a lot and we need to think about that but i think for me it's thinking about fragility yeah um i mean in all honesty, this is not really a book of poetry about illness, although all the poems deal with illness. Um, <laughs> this book continues the project of my writing. I feel that I have embarked upon and I cannot, it's the train that I'm riding. I can't jump off it. However mm. hard I try, it is, it, it's, it's really about identity and mm. writing about my immigrant self. Mm. Um, I can't stop not having that peek into the poems, um, into my poetry um, all the time. So that I feel continues to be sort of like the anchor um, mm. or the context for which I'm thinking about this idea of fragility. So yeah, the book was occasioned by um, the sudden collapse into illness of my grandmother, a woman um, that, you know, informed who I am um, very much so growing up, um, survivor of World War II, um, um, very Romanian in, in so many ways, um, a woman that I um, equate with home with uh, the comfort of of childhood. And so to see this figure sort of like um, wilt away and my my mother also along with her and their relationship Mm. affected my relationship with them uh, involuntarily. Um, uh, So it really forced me to think about the ways in which the three of us are connected, especially 
across the distance and how you respond to illness across the distance, right? Mm. So my grandmother was sick in Romania and I was grieving her death, although she was not dead. She's still not dead um, in the United States. Mm. So uh, the illness I'm talking about was a stroke that left her with a semiparesis um, and uh, not a single will of ever recovering. Um, It also left her um, stuck in a time frame that would be, I don't know, erroneous, I guess, to call the past. It's not really her past. It's an imagined past that feeds from all these like narratives that have I don't know, uh, played an important role in her life and uh, that doesn't exist. It never really existed, right? And so she lives that reality and it's so hard to penetrate it. And especially being so far away to not be able to, I don't know, to do something. Not that I could have done anything being next to her, but a simple gesture of, I don't know, feeding a loved one a spoonful of food, uh, I think brings a sort of calmness to the aching heart that, yeah. that I'm not able to find here. Yeah. And um, this also made me think about uh, fragility and womanhood. Um, as I mentioned before, the relationship between the three generations of women, uh, the first birthing the other and the other, you know, the last one, Uh, especially now that I am a mother, uh, I'm a recent mother, I mentioned my son earlier, he is two years old. Mm. So I still feel like I'm recent, recently made mother. Um, And, um, and thinking about all of this, uh, I started writing this book right before the pandemic started, but really, uh, it became a manuscript during the pandemic. And um, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, it really made me um, try to connect back to, you know, to, to my mother and to my grandmother and to this idea of home that I no mm. longer have. Yeah. And yeah, so actually, can we, can we, can, can we hear body as water? The body as water on page 24 is, is one of the ones I think, well, we could talk in a moment <laughs> about how this kind of captures that. The body is water. Some days the windows don't withstand the rain. This slithering ink that marks flesh with permanence. Strong ocean in this sick room where you are bound and prone and empty. Some days the rain is an extension of your body, river wandering close to tomb, loyal to no one, blunting the granite breath with which you huddle. You seep through the fibers, run into grit, thin like mulch, but still holding your shape. Though at first you believed you are anything but cold estuary, you have run your courses home, your shields ground into clay, all bones chipped to arrowhead. You have walked this mound yourself, 
stones wedged between mountaintop and your open arms, palms clammy, all moisture oozing from the infused body. In the end, when you shall have become ocean, your waves bobbing over the razor-sharp gills of snapper and perch, you will pace the summer over all this ill sadness, stoic and supine, knowing everything shall pass. Then in the waters of your darkest night, you'll give into a nod of limestone and let salt build you a new home of roe and mother of pearl and all things slimy and womb-like, and you'll forget about this pain here, specked with bits of life. That is beautiful. And, Thank you. Um, yeah, and that is a way that we, I, I, I know I, I mean, maybe this is just about my ideological or psychological baggage, but you know, a way of thinking about our lives and my body and our bodies. And this experience and this life that we have mm -hmm. as temporal. Yeah. And, you know, like the, the kind of like references that I'm trying to establish here to you know, uh, this, I don't know, maternal womb to which we all return. Mm -hmm. um, and this idea of like flow. Um, it just became, it's just a strange experience I had uh, giving birth where, and you know, I, I'm not sure if all um, people who gave birth um, felt this, felt it this way, but when your water breaks, you become a river. You feel this flow from the top of your head to the top of your toes. And it's all, you're, you know, it's just, you're, I don't know, you're flowing. And if death comes like that, like um, something inside you opening up and you just flow out of yourself, um, I think that that would, that gives me more peace because, um, I, I felt um, I felt also flooded with um, I don't know probably of course a lot of hormones and stuff like that but with a lot of happiness mm. and relief and uh, yeah so I, I guess I was thinking about that as well which so that is I, I mean I think that's the I mean but I think you did it though you're talking about well I'm flooded with hormones well it's just the hormones talking or whatever but. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's, again, that's the thing. I, I think for the longest time, I've been thinking a lot about fragility lately. Mm -hmm. um, especially as we're in this moment where it seems like everything is falling apart. Yeah. You know, I mean, literally, you know, this is for folks, you know, who are listening my fan base in Pittsburgh, um, you know, we're recording this, the, you know, Tuesday after the bridge fell down um, and bridges are supposed to be forever. And, and the world is, you know, it, I mean, it is the Marxist thing, right? The, all, all that is solid is melting into air. It feels like at this time. Yeah. And yeah, 
there's a way of almost trying to think of ourselves as impermeable and impenetrable and incorruptible or whatever, mm-hmm. but that's not what life is and, and coming to yeah. terms with that. And so I think you're, you're speaking about the idea of, of what it felt like to give birth as letting go. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's letting go, or I think it's also is that is that what life is, or I, you know, I think of uh, there's that great George Santanaya, Santanaya, I'm pronouncing his name wrong, I think, essay called Cloud Castles, mm-hmm. where he talks about he starts with the metaphor of you know we don't fault fish for their ability to live underwater and we don't fault birds for their ability to fly, but, but plenty of philosophers and people fault life for doing what it is. And that is constantly changing and constantly flowing. Mm. And he pens this beautiful essay about temporality that I sometimes go back to mm-hmm. every once in a while, when maybe the passage of time hits me in a really weird way or my own fragility is uh, it hits me in a really weird way of thinking about, you know, and then also we're in a highly consumerist culture where, we're, you know, we're supposed to have, and, and it's, you know, the, the Eth- Eric Fromm thing to have or to be. Yeah. You know, and we, even if we're having, having isn't forever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking about fragility, I have this poem that I'd like to read as well, but yes. before I do that, uh, let me speak about the moment that inspired it, um, uh, which was a moment of, I don't know, um, of, of, of awakening of sorts. Um, I, I um, returned to Romania about um, six months after my grandmother fell sick, ill, mm-hmm. and um, I witnessed my parents bathing my grandmother that um milan was not yet swimming in my belly at that time but um i really returned to that moment uh, very often after i gave birth and um you know bathing my baby um night after night and being able to hold that body and be really responsible for every single bit of it um and the water feeling so threatening because with just one sweep you know it could it could have it could have created chaos right in my life mm-hmm. and so um and so also uh, thinking about how you know frail the body is in the moment you take a bath you're you're exposed yes. right like you're exposed to the elements so to say um but um but let me read this poem it's called transgression and it goes like this instead of opening up like lilies at the touch of warm water in her body everything riveted her ribs blunt like the heads heads of nails and i knew Everything hurt from motion and the air crippling around her lungs. But I watched them, my father and mother, scaffolding her body, erecting the sacred cathedral with gentle touch from bottom up. In the bathtub, the body buoyed, aided by Capoc's bark, fibers twinned to help her breathe. 
I should have known better than to stay put. Watch her newborn cheeks blush when my father lifted her into his arms. The limp limbs wreathed around his neck like animal skins. Her body pushed into the narrow river, knowing the water it can take but cannot keep. Watching the three of them, I knew I wanted to disappear somehow in that intent crosshairs between bodies. I wanted to save myself the pain of watching my mother and my father toiling over, nursing the body into life among us. But the body only knows to spill towards waste. It was just such a powerful moment. Mm-hmm. And she was, she just gave into the help that she got from them that you know maternal care mm. that labor of love right it's a yeah. top love so it's yeah and and to juxtapose that between i mean you know i once heard you know caring for i don't have children but caring for an infant is this visceral experience yeah itself which we don't like to you know think of children as visceral but that it is this incredibly intense experience about what it you 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 realize what a body needs or what a body does or what a body requires yeah yeah absolutely and you measure everything in the output that the body produces yeah. Whether we're talking about bowel movements yes. or we're talking about sound. <laughs> yes. Right? <laughs> Breath. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah. I used to hold the mirror over um, my son's mouth when he was a baby and he would sleep just to make sure he's still breathing. Mm. I'm sure I'm not the only No, you're definitely not the only one. You're definitely not the only one. Yeah. You know, that makes me think about in a weird way. I've been thinking about this a lot. I had an experience as a child. I almost drowned. Mm. And it was the, the circumstances were that uh, my mother went to visit one of her friends and the friend had a pool mm-hmm. and the friend's son and a friend were playing in the pool. And my mom was like, no, go in the pool. Hang out with those kids. I want to have adult time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I went in and I went under. Well, and I think in a weird way, I realized my mom never treated me the same after that. Hmm. And I think maybe some of that was guilt because she was really like, no, you got to go in that pool. You got to go in that pool. You got to go in that pool. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that almost for in a way, like my mom being too afraid as well to participate in my life because to participate, be a participant in my life is to be aware of my fragility. And aware of my vulnerability. And for her, I think it was easier for her to just cut herself off from me and the world that we lived in the same house. 
Yeah. Well, um, my grandmother did lost her firstborn um, to drowning. Uh, um, he, he's the firstborn was a little boy. I think he was probably around two or three. So my son's age right now. And uh, they found him drowned in a barrel. He was playing, you know, with um, a leaf, trying to float it on water and fell into the barrel and bumped his head and uh, was unconscious and drowned. And I'm kind of alluding to that or, you know, re-imagining that in some of the poems here. One of them is uh, debulking a cancer monologue. Um. Yeah. Um. And and I, I should I read that poem? Yeah. Again? Why not? Yeah. These poems are great. The uh, you know, enough Thank of me you. pontificating it's and ask, asking questions. Let's hear some poems. <laughs> let's, let's hear some more poems. It's a, it's a different tone, a different kind of poem. Um, and it goes like this: I should warn you that I'm not from around here, that I'm from Iron Curtain Nation, from the taxi broke down in the parking lot. The can I have a hundred for a sandwich country where every woman, every man, every which way had to nod and say, yes, I am what you want me to be. Just let me dodge this rubber bullet, which is the possibility to be saved. I have heard that people can march freely in the street, shout down with oppression and women's rights are human rights. But I say when the commies spiked my baby's boy milk with vodka, when I came home from church to find my drunken baby drowned in a wine cask, when I felt those filthy nails scraping my thighs, all that husky hay scattered through the yard, and I was empty and heaving, heaving like a thing, the her bullet lungs too tight from the grip the clammy hands, that sour breath like an old newborn's. I wanted to grab a knife and carve open my ribcage to take all that rage out. And I'm asking you not if this would ever stop, not if the new millennium will have its own sort of shit, the despotic step on the toe, the power drive you get when everyone calls you God. But I need to know who's going to tell our stories, who's going to remember the lame rock, which could po be possible, but is not probable. And why would it even matter that this nasty cancer hangs like a thick, lumpy octopus over me, stifling me with its clammy tentacles so that I listen, foul ruler. And it's not that I'm ungrateful when I know it's my time farewell in, in this deep silence, but why ride in my face? This loneliness underneath me will rub these memories in my face when my bones are stuck and I cannot pick them apart. My bed seats on this yellowed bed sheet, buttered in light. So talking about, you know, all these like narrative threads that are inundating um, uh, the, the mind of a person with dementia. Yeah. And the voices, right, that come and go and are not the natural sort of like voice or the expected. Mm hmm. And it's also it's for me, too, is like speaking of not only like bodily fragility, but the fragility of memory. Yeah. Is what are we, if not the, the sum collection of our memories <laughs> and where do those things go <laughs> when we go or when we start to go or, you know, I know um, I, I have a very good friend who lost her mother to dementia last year. Mm. And it was a long slog um, between mm. 
you know, her maybe first a few times being forgetful to a time she crashed her car to uh, moving back, my friend moving back to a, a home, a childhood home. And, you know, I mean, she would often refer to her mother as this zo- angry zombie who replaced my mom. Yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean to lose a person before you lose a person in that way? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the other thing we have to talk about is the cover and the cover art. Yes. <laughs> because it is, it is speaking, speaking of embodiment and being aware of what's on the inside. Oh, or yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for the listeners, if they have a chance to get to see this book, um, the art cover was done by a friend of mine, an artist under the name of Aura. Um, um, just that of his name. She um, lives in Romania and um, she uh, does uh, all sorts of graphic visualizations. She works with collage. Um, but she also works with uh, just charcoal or black ink. Mm. And um, when I first uh, asked her if she would be interested in creating the cover for this book, uh, she just, uh, she said, yes, no questions asked. <laughs> mm. She was so excited. And, and I'm so grateful for that because she just completely trusted me. Um, but then she asked me to send her the manuscript so she can kind of like, you know, uh, understand what the book is about and get inspired. And she returned to um, this, you know, image of a rib cage. Um, uh, at that time, I think when I first saw it, the, the rib cage was connected to these, um, these ends, I don't know, these territories that were not really defined mm. at the top and bottom of the book. And, uh, we talked about it and we talked about the poems and then she came up with the idea of like, why don't, uh, why don't we have these two territories become two different continents since mm. you're home, you're, you know, it's not uh, just a book about um, the body and, you know, the fragility of the body because of illness, but it's also about this distance of not being there, of being in, you know, in, in migration, so to say. Right. So uh, I really love how you can kind of like look at the two worlds upside down, mm. how they're tied by um, the body or the embodiment or that which the body brings into the world or that space. Um, because what would they be if there were no bodies to witness them mm. um, and everything that belongs to the body, right? Not just the bones, but, um, but um but the consciousness, but the... Yeah, the consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the two continents are tied typically by oceans. So, again, that that notion of flow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so grateful. And she's really cool. And I completely, um, you know, uh, uh, encourage uh, everybody to check her work out at aura etc etc so i I, and i'll be posting links to the book and i will be posting links to definitely i i I was looking in the front matter aura has a or etc 
has a an Instagram Handle, and Facebook. Yeah. So there will be there will be links. Um can I hear one more poem before we go to the bottom five? Yeah. Do, do you have a I, I really want on page 32, thinking of my dying grandmother. That was my other request going to the podcast when I was reading. I was like, I really want to hear that. I want to really want to hear read that one. Yeah, it's so interesting. My my son's right now very much into dinosaurs. <laughs> He's going to be a paleontologist. Um, yeah, well, yeah. dinosaurs were forever too, right? <laughs> Just <Yeah>. like us. <laughs> Never going away. We are them. Thinking of my dying grandmother, grandmother at the Natural History Museum in Utah, in, of Utah in Salt Lake City. At the Natural History Museum in Salt Lake City, I am promised the assemblage of nature's ultimate machine. It's precise lurking, one foot crossing the Silurian, its simian lurch trapped behind shatterproof grass, glass. Excuse me. I zigzag through the dinosaur world the tender bend of bony necks, their petrified savagery minted into thick layers of shale, their swift death on display. When I pass by a diorama showing the evolution of humans from apes, skulls shatter and crack. And I think this day in this museum, I hear the boiling of my spectacular middle age. And I wonder what will become of me. What of my grandmother? a woman trapped still behind a glass curtain of illness, the body fouling the air, the heart precipitating into silence as if her life belongs to the ruses of geological becoming. I think about how undignified death is, its slow whirl, its disgusting drag. And I know here in this museum that death is the secret, the shoe brush shining our path. <sighs> great stuff great Thank beautiful you. stuff i mean fitting for the name of the podcast and all but you know it's <laughs> still not so i mean it was a joke but it's real and um it's important to think about these things and i'm glad that middle age is spectacular can be spectacular <laughs> I'm hoping at least, <laughs> you know, if... I mean, it has been for me for sure. Yeah, me too, actually. But, you know, if I could have the, the wisdom of spectacular middle age in like my 20 year old body. Yeah, that would be nice. But we don't get that deal. That's not the deal we get. Yeah. You know, particularly in this pandemic, surrounded by so much death so much illness um not just you know the 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 terrible i don't know a tragedy of the covid-19 but all illness really mm-hmm. as it's become more urgent that we think about it um how can not every single day be spectacular right yeah or it should be yeah so on that note, it's now yeah. time for the bottom five, a series of questions not related to our main topic that are of a surrealistic and or philosophical nature. Are you ready? Okay. 
<laughs> yes. All right. Question one, which is the que- which is the question one everybody gets first time on the podcast. If reincarnation is real and you had to come back as an infectious disease or illness, what kind of disease or illness would you be? Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it's yes. Considering what we've all, what we've just talked about for the last 40 minutes. Uh, You know, there's, there's science that, that, that demonstrates that viruses and bacteria are capable of integrating part of their DNA into ours and therefore modifying ours. Yes. So it's kind of like a a leech type parasitic stance. I, I would like to be reincarnated as a vaccine. Uh, (laughs) 103 episodes. You're the first person to think of that. (laughs) that's beautiful question two stolen from the book of surrealist games if you had to choose would you welcome the total elimination of day or night day i love sleep yeah sleep is the best night is the best all the cool stuff happens at night All right, question three, which is not, actually, it's not a question. It is a prompt. Okay. Tell me a happy, but somewhat unremarkable memory of your childhood. Oh, my goodness. I think my my childhood was was peppered with unremarkable, but extremely happy moments. Um, Reading the newspaper with my father and mother each taking a a leaf. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. In the kitchen. Oh, so good. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Question four is very different. Well, it's actually, it's also about a book. It's also about the, the, about text and literature. So if we're living in a dystopian future and the only books to survive would be those bound in human skin, would you? And what book would you what would you sacrifice your skin for? With the caveat, somebody already picked the Bible, the Quran, and the complete works of Shakespeare. Those three are taken. Oh my goodness! So, what book I would be? I would allow my yes. body to be to become. Yes, and and if if you don't, there's a chance that book does not survive moving forward into human history. Oh, my goodness. I mean, there's so many great, amazing books that, you know, if I could become their shelf or their house, it it would Mm. just be an honor. Um, I just, I don't know. I I recently just bought Lina Stefanescu's book, Poems, entitled Door. Um, I highly encourage that the, the listeners look it up. Um, and could you say that again in case they missed it? Yes. Uh, the author's name is Alina Stefanescu. She's a Romanian-American poet. And the book I'm talking about is a collection of poems entitled D-O-R, Dor. 
which is a, the Romanian word for longing. Oh, wow. Okay. You're almost through this process now. <laughs> Question five. I thought about thinking more uh, like, uh, I don't know, a book with, uh, I don't know, some, <laughs> I don't know, a more, I don't know, uh, uh, holy, I guess, but all of them are holy, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> So question five is, what is your least favorite month? You know, uh, when I found out that my son was going to be born in October, I cringed a little bit because in my experience growing up in Romania, at a time when we still had the four seasons, October was very rainy and, mm. and, and drabby and gloomy and dark and and a little cold, not too cold, but I wasn't allowed to go out and play at that much. You know, we had school and I was always very, I don't know, uh, a little bit uh, filled with nostalgia, I guess, and uh, a little bit more depressive mm. uh, in the fall, uh, particularly in, in October. Uh, but then, um, then, you know, um, uh, Milan was born almost in October. He came a day earlier mm. and uh, <laughs> now October means something completely different. Plus October in Oklahoma is just gorgeous. Mm. <laughs> so not October. So of the other 11, um, I'm so sorry. Can you repeat the question again? I, sure, I I sure. It's uh, what's your least favorite month? My least favorite month. Okay. My least favorite month to answer um, honestly from the perspective I am in today is my birth month, August. Yeah, August is pointless. I yeah, I dread my birthday. I don't, you know, I don't want it to come because I don't want to get old. I want to stay here forever and ever. I want to stay and, you know, see Milan forever and ever. Mm. Milan is my son's name. <laughs> yeah, no, he's remarkable. Your Facebook uh, pictures of him are just beautiful. <laughs> he's a beautiful kid. Um, yeah, but we never get that lucky. I so hope again, my mother doesn't listen to this and doesn't understand what I'm saying because I'm sure this would hurt her. Mm. Because for her, probably August is the month, one of the months filled with joy. Yes. <laughs> I'm just not a fan. It's just too hot in August. I don't know. School starts again. And, yeah. Yeah. So the best way for folks to get their own copy of Tethered to the Unexpected. And I'll post the link. So you're saying Amazon is the place to go? Amazon, absolutely. Um, is yeah. there anything else, anything else I can post a link to for the folks or that you want to want to promote that you have? I just want to say a big thank you to the uh, Alien Buddha Press, the oh, yes. small independent press who chose to publish my book. Uh, very grateful, very easy to work with. Uh, very nice people. Um, I encourage yeah, Red is the best. Yeah, red, exactly. To look yes. them up and, and support them. And all similar efforts, you know, independent presses are um, our heart and soul. They bring uh, some of the most in interesting work to life, to, mm -hmm. you know, public awareness. And I, you know, 
I support them as often as I possibly can. Yes, we should. We all should. So I think that's about it. Our next episode will eventually happen and it will be about something. And I have no plan for what episode 104 (laughs) is going to be. So who knows? But our homepage where you can find new and old episodes is going to die podcast.com. We're also on Apple podcasts, Spotify. I know the Joe Rogan thing, but you you submit an RSS feed. I'm not getting any money from them. Um, and you can listen to them on uh, us on Apple and Google Podcasts and Audible and Stitcher and TuneIn and Podcast Addict. And if I ever remember Mixcloud, follow us on Twitter at at Gonna Die Podcast. And we're all gonna die is on Facebook. Special thanks to Andrew Fox for our lovely theme music. And thank you so much to our guest, Roxana Kazan. We have been shifts in the night for years and this is our first real conversation thank you very very much matt i'm incredibly grateful to be to be here yes thank you so much and let's do this again sometime Mm -hmm. later meet all right